Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Man, y'all are going to miss that. It's going to be gone and y'all are going to miss. If you're watching this online and like you had not seen the bumper video, forget about it. It's the coolest thing ever. Y'all are going to miss it. Um, hey, my name is Spence. I am the lead pastor here at Mercy Church. It's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Hey, before we get into uh, the last commandment, um, let me give you kind of a brief update of what's going on around Mercy just a little bit. Uh, before we get in there, okay? All right, so starting next weekend, we're gonna be adjusting our service times here at Mercy just a little bit, and I wanna tell you why. Um, If you're newer to Mercy, we are one church that meets in two locations, so we're at our Providence Road campus and also um, Independence Boulevard, right over there, what we call our Independence campus, and the full story behind how we got to where we are is a really beautiful one that I don't have time for it this morning, okay? Um, but it is, it's awesome, but that's where we are right now. Well, over the summer, our Independence Campus has been meeting at one service time, which is um, 10.30 over there, starting next week, y'all, just because of uh, the growth that we've experienced and all of our college students coming back, we're returning to two services over there, which will be at 9 and 10.45. So what we're going to do is for both campuses, Providence Road and Independence, our service times are going to be 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m., okay? It's only a little bit of a tweak from 11 down to 10.45 from our normal operating procedure, all right? Now, last thing I want to say about it, we are working right now, and it's going to take us about four weeks to get there to be able to deliver the sermon, the message, on Sunday morning by video to our 9 o'clock service at Independence. It's going to take us about four weeks to get there. That's a mobile situation where we have to set up teardowns. It's a little bit different than what we have at Providence Road. So for the next four weeks, from August 25th until September, I think it's 15th, we're going to be delivering the sermon on Sunday mornings by video here at the 9 o'clock service at Providence Road. And then we'll get back to what we've been doing throughout the summer, which is me right here where I have been um, and whoever's preaching right here delivering the sermon. So I just want you to kind of have a little context for what's happening when you see a little bit of a change next weekend um, and appreciate you guys being flexible with us as we work through the facility situation the Lord has given us and and we're grateful for it, all right? With that said, main thing I want you to hear, of course, is service times, 9 and 1045. All right, with that said, everybody understand it? Nod your head, you understand it's coherent. All right, that's the main thing I'm looking for. Awesome, let's move in. Um, Today, we're gonna close out our series on the Ten Commandments. I actually want to give you a preview to where we're going after that. Um, Starting next week, we're immediately jumping into a new series in the book of Acts uh, over in the New Testament that we're calling You Are Sent. And y'all, this is one that I have been waiting for for four years um, since we were in launch team phase for Mercy Church, praying and, and trying to decipher when it was the right time to preach this series, preach this book. I'm so excited about it. We're going to look at the story of the first church. It is a wild story. And my hope, y'all, here's my hope. By seeing what God did there and remembering that the same God who was with the first church is with us now. My hope, y'all, is that we'll see kind of a, a experience, a little bit of an awakening in our souls to the power of God 
actually available to us here and now and the purpose of God for our lives. All right, we're gonna dig into a lot of that. It's gonna be awesome. This is a, a series that we hope uh, is a really good one to invite some friends to. If you have somebody who you're like, man, they need God. I mean, this is gonna be a great opportunity for them because they're gonna get to watch God interact and a whole bunch of people encounter God for the first time as we go through the book of Acts. You're like, man, if you know some people that are trying to figure out where their purpose is for their life, how does God fit into the equation of my life? Man, this is gonna be a great, great series, okay? That's next week. Into this week, we're closing out the Ten Commandments. Um, Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be. If you've got your Bible, it has been a, it seems to have been a really formative series for us. Um, I love once we get into something, praying through it and hoping, and then just even still being surprised at what the Lord does through uh, walking through Scripture together. And uh, from the comments and just conversations I've had with y'all, I've been really encouraged. We have been after one main idea the whole series, all right? I'm gonna put it back up on the screen for you. This is what we've been going after. What we said is the key to the 10 commandments. And that's simply this. We do not obey God. We do not obey these commandments in order to earn salvation from God. We're saved by God. And so we obey. That's the 10 commandments key. We do not obey to earn salvation from God. We're saved by God. And so we obey. Our one chapter, Exodus 20, that we've been in all summer, it opens saying, what? I am the Lord your God. Remember, I've said this so many times to you. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. It opens, those two verses, y'all, that's just a little summary. If you wanna go uh, and see in full, it's a summary of the first 19 chapters in the book of Exodus. And the order is so important. Listen to me. Obedience to God follows deliverance by God. You catch that? That's what's been so big about this. You don't obey to earn God's acceptance. He saves you. And then our response to what he's done, that is obedience. And the reason that's key, y'all, the reason it's so important is because that's what makes the difference right there. Understanding that order is what, it's what makes the whole difference between Christianity being a guilt-based religion and a gospel-based religion. The difference is all in that order. Uh, that's why First uh, John 5, 3, that's why John says, for this is the love of God, like God giving his love to us, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome when we do obey them. They're not meant to restrict joy and freedom and to be drudgery, but to give us joy and freedom because grace always comes before God's law. God's grace always precedes it. And so often what happens in religion, especially in Christianity, is that we look at things like the Ten Commandments and we're like, these are the things I have to do to make God happy, make God like me. And so religion becomes a burden. And the scripture is going, no, 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 no. God's commandments are to be a blessing, a source of joy for us. And you need to hear that because this last one that we're in today, I think is gonna hit us pretty hard. The 10th and final commandment is a very intentional, very incredible bookend to the whole thing. Because what it's going to do, it's going to start differently than the rest. It's going to start by going down into our desires and starts looking there. Let's look at it. Exodus 20, verse 17. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, I love this is how the commandments close because it's so different. The other nine, they start with what? They start with our actions. 
And then we saw how they, they start with actions, but then work their way down to our hearts. Like it starts with murder. Do not murder. Just to use an example. Do not murder. That's an action. But then in order to obey it, we saw Jesus say, you got to deal with envy and hatred down in your heart. So it starts with action, works its way to the heart. All of them do. But then this one flips everything. God starts in your heart. Do not covet what others have. That's y'all. Here's what he's saying. He's not just Lord of your actions. He is claiming to be Lord of your desires. And I believe it's the last one because this right here is the last stand every individual makes before total surrender to God and the freedom that comes with it. You could work yourself to the bone trying to be a good person by obeying all of the commandments. Of course, Jesus told us that that's actually impossible. When you look down at the heart, you could try, right? You could try, I'm gonna try and obey everything. I'm gonna try to modify my behavior. And so God, I'll give you the behavior that you want, but my desires are still my desires. I'll do what you want me to do, my desires are still my desires. That's, that's guilt-based religion, still operating from that. And you will hope that God will accept you while still holding on to your desires. And God says, no, I want your desires too. I think it's the final commandment because it's the final step in the process of fully experiencing what, it's almost like what I want to call it is the freedom of surrender. The freedom you find in God when finally surrendering to God and living under his rule. And this, I'm telling you guys, this is the one for so many of us where real gospel change is going to take place. So that's where we're going. Let me give you, you type A folks, good news. I got an outline, okay? Really simple. There's gonna be four parts to the rest of this sermon. First, what coveting is. A little bit of an old school Bible word. So what is coveting? All right, we're gonna look at that. Second, we're gonna look at why. Why is coveting so important. I mean, because it seems a little bit like, why does God care if I just want this thing over here? Why is it so important? All right, we're going to look at how we know when we are coveting, and then how to walk forward in freedom from it, how to fight against it, all right? So what is coveting? That's our first thing. Let me say it first by saying a couple of things. Coveting is not, all right? This is going to be pretty important. The first thing, coveting is not anti-desire, all right? Forgive me for the clunkiness of that phrase, but I think you know what I mean. It's, it's important to hear God does not equate all desires that we have with coveting. In fact, there are plenty of times in Scripture where God says it's, it's good to desire things, right? The story of Sarah and Hannah teaches us that desiring children can be a good thing. The Song of Solomon, we see the desire for sexual intimacy to be a good thing. Proverbs teaches us to plan and to work hard in our lives so that we might improve our position in life, which means the desire for increased wealth and career advancement can be a good thing. It can also be an awful thing. We're going to see that today, but it can be the desire for a good house, a good spouse, a good, I don't know, mouse, whatever, a good bunch of good stuff. I don't know. Um, a lot of Dr. Seuss in my history, okay? So those desires can be good, okay? Then there are even more obvious things like the desiring more of God and his spirit. Of course, that would be good, First Timothy tells us if someone desires to be an overseer, an elder, that's a good thing, a good desire. So we can't just read, do not covet as do not desire, all right? Christianity says, God, we believe that God designed us and he designed us with desires. To try and rid yourself of all desire would be something more akin to probably to Buddhism, right? This is pain, where pain in your life comes from is unmet desires, so if you want to cure pain, your answer is to cure all desire. So get rid of, push out all desire, and then you'll be free from all pain. That's not Christianity. That's what we would say is a sad life. 
Christianity says that desires aren't the problem. Our problems come when we desire the wrong things or we desire the right things in the wrong way. We're about to see that, all right? So it's not anti-desire. It's also not anti-ambition, okay? Which is kind of a a little more focused, targeted form of desire. It's not anti-ambition. It's good for a godly person to have dreams and ambitions and to pursue them in your life, to be the very best at what you do. Do it all to the glory of God, right? Corinthians is gonna tell us. In fact, I think that's God-honoring. Now, ambition without humility will lead to coveting, as we'll see, okay? So like ambition, forgetting that Christ who those in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us. Ambition without seeing Christ's humility and then modeling that humility in our lives, that will lead us to coveting. We'll see that. But this commandment, y'all, it isn't a license to be lazy and to meander about the planet for a few years or a few decades. You can't ignore studying for a test, fail it, and then drop the tenth. Like, I was just coveting good grades, you know? So thought I'd take a break on this one. It's not how it works, all right? Here's the next one, and, and the last one in terms of what it isn't. And this one's big. Coveting is not anti-lament. And that's really important, y'all. It's okay to cry out to God from a place of suffering and ask for his relief. I need you to, to hear that. We're not going against that. We're not contradicting that. This is what Christ did in the garden. God, let this cup pass from me. This is what he does on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms are filled with how long, O Lord. There is a book of the Bible called Lamentations filled with that. There's a rich, deep theology of suffering in Scripture that allows for you to cry out to God for his mercy without breaking this commandment. Some of you need to hear today, it is okay for your weary soul to ask God for a change in the situation that you have, that's okay. And to ask God to restore your hope and restore the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, that's okay and good to cry out to him. There's a holy way to do that. That's, that's what coveting is not. Let's talk about what it is, okay? Here's the short version I'm gonna give you, kind of Spence's working definition. Coveting is desire mutated into discontentment. That's what we're going to call it today, okay? Coveting is when desire mutates into discontentment. It's when your unmet desires and ambitions, they kind of turn on you and they create discontentment down in your soul. It's usually identified, as we see in the 10th commandment, by specifically looking at what others have and feeling like you'd be better off if you could just have what they have. I want to show you what I mean by walking back through this commandment a little bit slower and offering kind of an internal monologue of sorts, all right? Part of this list comes from, I told you guys a couple of books that I recommended week one I really love. A part of this list comes from Kevin DeYoung's uh, The Ten Commandments book, little book that I would, I would encourage you towards. And then of course, I added some of my own. So internal monologue, here's the first part of the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Internally, that's, man, they sure have nice stuff. And I'm tired of living in this dump. Must be nice to be living in that fancy neighborhood. Why can't I have an HGTV home? Right? Here's the next one. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Wow, she's beautiful. Why can't my wife age like that? She's had how many kids? Man, I wish I had married someone like her. Some of y'all are like cringing right now because you know you're feeling this and you're like, is he saying that? Um, I wish I had married someone like her. I'd be so much happier with someone like her than I am with my wife. 
Look at her husband. He's always so friendly. He's always so engaged with his kids. He's always helping around the house. He actually fixes things instead of just breaking things, right? Why am I stuck with this guy when there are guys like that out there? And then single people wish all you married people would shut up, <laughs> right? How did she get him when I'm out here, right? Why can't I get a girl like that if he can? It goes on. Or his male servant, female servant, ox or donkey, talking about the, the tools that make life easy. And you're thinking, my car is a piece of junk. I want his car. I want a nanny. I want a lawn care service. I want a housekeeping service. Finishes with her anything that is your neighbor's. All our friends take great vacations. We go to your parents in Greensboro and you call that travel, right? <laughs> I wish my parents were more like their parents. My parents are lame. How about this? I wish my kids were more like their kids. Play dates are like these secretly, you're kind of hoping that whatever's going on with them will rub off on your kids and they'll be better kids as a result, right? I wish I was smart like her. I wish I had his body. I wish I had her body because my life would be so much better. I wish life just came as easily to me as it seems to come to him or her. I wish I had a normal family, but I'm stuck with all these weirdos. I wish I could grow that mustache. There's no chance for me, right? I wish I was better at sports. I wish my kids were better at sports. Why is my life so hard when everyone else seems so easy? And you're like, I get it, man. But I look at the reading of the text and I'm like, man, I just, I've never coveted my neighbor's ox. Sure you have. You're all the time up on Instagram and you're like, man, look at her ox. She posts pictures of that ox all the time. She and the ox always seem so happy. I'm even jealous when she posts about the problems she and her ox are having because she posts them and says ox life and it's so authentic and I wanna be authentic like she's authentic. What you don't realize is that it's a huge illusion. She doesn't care about her ox. She cares about you caring about her ox, right? And if everybody stopped liking her and her ox, she'd be lost. She got the same problem you have. She needs you to love her for her ox and you need to covet the life that she has and y'all just feeding each other's problems. Coveting is desire mutated into discontentment. And discontentment, y'all, listen, it is the breeding ground for all the rest of the Ten Commandments. Lying, stealing, cheating, lust, refusing to rest, not honoring your parents, not submitting to God. It all comes from a place deep down in your soul where you are discontent with the lot in life that God has handed to you. That's why I'm saying this isn't just a tag on 10th commandment. It's the culmination of all 10 because it reveals more than any other what's going on down there. And God's after your heart. There's another word the Bible gives to this, this mutation that happens to this discontentment. It's the word idolatry. The way I heard one pastor uh, describe idolatry a long time ago, it's when a good thing becomes a God thing in your life, when it mutates from desire to preoccupation and to obsession. That's coveting. I'll tell you, for me, when I look at other pastors, we all play the comparison game, right? That's what this commandment's getting at. When I look at other pastors and their churches, tell you what's happening to me right now in my life, I look at them and I think, man, if only I had that facility, Oh, Y'all, the Lord wrecked me on this this week. I have been just candidly discontent down in my soul with our facility situation. And because I've been discontent, I have been missing the incredible blessings that God has given us in our facilities. Let me explain. 
Currently in our facilities, we've got a mobile one that we have to move in and out of every single weekend. We got a new, we got another one that's our permanent facility here at Providence Road that needs a new AC unit, just like your house needs new AC from time to time. And I'm like, if we don't get it stat, the 11 o'clock service is actually going to bake, okay? And I'm not saying we shouldn't fix this stuff. It's happening and everything else. We need that. But I've been preoccupied with it. I've been mad at God about it. I've drifted into believing man, if we just have good facilities, then mercy will be successful, which really means Spence will be successful, which means Spence will get the glory, right? That's what that's saying. And I'm driving around Charlotte and I'm looking at other buildings like my precious, you know, <laughs> just looking at them. Some of you are like, my pastor has issues. Yes, I do, okay? I go to retail stores and God says, hey man, can I help you out? And I'm like, yeah, how many square feet y'all got? He's like, dude, that's weird. This is Office Depot. You want printer ink or a chair? That's all I got for you, you know? But you know what I've let slip away in doing that? The incredible gift that the Levine Senior Center has been to our church, our mobile facility, the incredible unity and camaraderie of sorts that it has brought us by setting up and tearing down every week there for the past four years, the ownership that it's given our church for our mission. I've forgotten the incredible gift Providence Road was to us. It continues to be to us. The story of the faithful saints who entrusted this to us, but that's what coveting does. That's why it's so bad. It moves Jesus out of the place he's supposed to be in. It replaces him with something else and says, if I just have this, then I'll be okay. And y'all, we start to, to pause and you hear me say this out loud and it sounds kind of silly, right? But that's how coveting works. It does its greatest damage to you in the silent internal monologue of your heart and mind. It creates discontentment that causes you to look away from the cross in the empty tomb. It calls you to look away from what God has done, and it will even cause you to look away from the great blessings that God in his kindness has put right in front of you here and now. It says, God, you're not enough for me. Your gifts are not enough for me. It's the fruit of believing the same old lie of the enemy. Last week, we said the reason that we tell lies, every lie that we tell, the reason we tell lies is because we are believing a lie. And what we said is the lie behind our lies is that we cannot trust God. The evidence that we feel we cannot trust God, it's the feeling of discontentment. If you're wondering, am I believing that old lie of Satan that you cannot trust God, the same one he told Adam and Eve in the garden? If you're wondering, am I believing that? Are you discontent with where God has you right now with something in your life? Now we're talking about something internal. I know that's hard to measure, so I wanna show you how you can know if you're coveting, okay? I wanna give you some, some questions, maybe some, what we'll call it symptoms of coveting, all right? Signs that this may be happening in your life. So I wanna help you get there to where you're able to yield this to God and see and, and restore your soul to the joy that God has for you, all right? Here's the first symptom. You hurt others to get what you want. It's a symptom of coveting. While this may involve actions, those actions come from an attitude or an approach to life, right? If you have a do whatever it takes to get ahead, which can often be celebrated in our culture, do whatever it takes to get ahead attitude, it'll result in actions that harm others. Maybe it's you work way too many hours each week. You don't intend to hurt your family in your absence, but your preoccupation with work is doing exactly that. I know because this is me. Again, I covet Mercy's successes, and so I'm preoccupied with it. And the result is that I work long hours. And even when I'm with my family, tell me if this rings true to any of you, even when I'm with my family, I'm still thinking about work. 
Work still got the number one spot, even if my body is in a different place. Maybe you're like those James talks about, stirring up trouble in James 4. What's the source of wars and fights among you? He's talking to the church. Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you don't have it. You murder and covet. You can't obtain, and so you wage and fight. Your passions wage war within you because you want something you can't seem to get. That passion becomes coveting when it blinds you to the fact that others around you are people, human beings made in God's image, and you're willing to mow them over to get what you desire. Here's the next one. Next symptom of coveting. You're unwilling to give up what you already have. Again, there's nothing, like I said, nothing necessarily wrong with working hard to build up wealth. The problem is when we grip it so tightly that it becomes the source of soul-level security for us. When we aren't willing to bless others because it might take away from our security blanket or our safety net. The rich young man in the Gospels comes to mind here, right? He comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? You know what Jesus does? He starts listing off the back half of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, honor your parents, don't steal. But he leaves off the Tenth Commandment. And the guy says, great, Jesus, I've done all that. And Jesus says, okay, one more thing. Go sell everything you have and give it away. Give all the proceeds away to the poor. Then follow me. He knew his heart. He knew this guy was coveting his wealth and the security that it provided. He couldn't possibly take a step backwards in social standing and in wealth, let alone all the way to the place of poverty so he couldn't follow Jesus. And maybe that's you. You follow Jesus right up until it gets sacrificial. That's where it stops. What if, guys? What if your possessions and wealth, what if that's the last stronghold keeping you from experiencing the joy, the true joy that's available to you in Christ? Are your possessions starting to possess you? Again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the accrual of wealth. God gives us good gifts to enjoy. And on top of that, there are plenty of believers. One of the coolest things in our church are believers that I see using their wealth as a way to bless others. But Jesus warns us about, the, about riches and about the rich for a reason. Because riches come, they can become, I should say, they can become a powerful source of coveting. Are they keeping you from obeying Christ? Here's another symptom that you're coveting. This one might hurt. You complain more than you rejoice. Now, this is a tough one because I bet if I were to say, do you complain more than you rejoice? Less than 2% of you would say, yep, that's me. This is a blind spot, y'all. This is one where you got to get outside opinions on, all right? And the people closest to you are the best judge of this. If you live with roommates, ask your roommate. If you're married, ask your spouse. A good way to test this is to see how much in your life are you saying right now, if only. If only my salary was a little higher. If only we had kids. If only our wedding could be in that location, that venue. If only we could afford that house. If only she would pay attention to me. Again, another way to test this, I said it jokingly earlier, is how you consume social media. It seems to be here, right? And I'm doing everything I can to learn how to use it, to benefit myself in the world. But some of you are suffering from what um, Joey Schwartz calls a bad case of scroliosis okay? Right? Your screen has just become a coveting window. 
I want if only, if only, if only. This is why God says in 2 Corinthians 10, take every thought captive to Christ. Do you complain more than you rejoice? Last one, you chase your desires in secret. I feel like this might be many of you. If your desires have mutated, here's how you know, you don't let others know how much you want to satisfy them. If you're coveting your neighbor's wife, you probably don't tell your neighbor, hey man, I wish I had your wife. I've never seen or heard that conversation. Um, No, what do you do? You long for her in secret and you look up images online to temporarily satisfy that mutated desire. This is almost always what happens when people come to me to confess sexual sin. It started in the dark and it stayed in the dark for a while. The way counselor David Pallison says, he says, things in a secret garden always grow mutant. It's true for all forms of coveting. You check your bank account constantly because you covet financial security. If those closest to you knew just how much you obsessed over that, they'd be surprised. That's what an idol does. It convinces you, listen to me, what an idol does, how you know if those desires have mutated, it convinces you that the darkness of secrecy is a safe and good space to pursue your desires because the rest of them just wouldn't understand. So quick look ahead to the... (laughs) end of this message, one of the things you got to do, you need confession. You need a space where you can take things out of that secret garden and into light, which is why you need community. How many times in this series have I said, you better get some Christians in your life that are following Jesus, lock arms tightly with them. This is why, it's just another reason why. In fact, it leads me right to our last, last part of this message. How do we fight against coveting? The antidote to coveting is what scripture calls in several places contentment, right? We were talking about discontentment. The antidote is contentment. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Sometimes verse 13 gets taken out of context and we don't recognize what Paul's not saying, I'm able to shoot all free throws through him who strengthens me. He's saying, I have such a deep contentment in my soul with who I am in Christ what he has done for me, how he's called me, reconciled me back to God, that he walks with me every single day and that I have eternity secured with Christ. I'm secure enough there that my situations and my circumstances do not get to dictate what kind of a person I am. God has saved me, a wretched sinner, so I will rejoice in the Lord always. That's what he says, Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He, he's with me. And all that death can do, all that death can do is quicken a glorious eternity with Christ. I've told you before, this contentment that Paul had right here, this is what frustrated his oppressors. They would threaten to take away everything from him. They would throw him in jail unless he stops preaching. And he says, well, to live is Christ. I don't need anything else. I can't stop. They said, well, then we're going to kill you. And he goes, to die is gain. Right? There's nothing they could do to him. The call not to covet, 
We've said this about these commandments. It's when you see something that says not to, there's also a, a positive flip to this, right? The call not to covet is a call to contentment, not to complacency, to contentment. And scripture, especially with the Apostle Paul, seems to hold contentment as the, the spiritual secret to joy in this life. I told you in the first sermon, I've been looking, uh, again, one of those books was by J.I. Packer, Keeping the Ten Commandments. Short book, recommend it to you. Here's how he says, we grow in contentment. He says, know the love of Christ. Know the love of Christ. This is first, and y'all, there is no second without this. If you're in here hoping for some, like, let me get a couple of quick tips to make my life a little bit better. No, no, no. Know the love of Christ. You have to understand the Ten Commandments have always been pointing us right here. The law of God helps us see that we aren't able to keep the law of God. It's written that way, and the New Testament says that's to make sure we know. It reveals our deep need for help. And the love of Christ is seen that he rescues us from the guilt that we have under the law, from the twisted, corrupted mindsets that we walk in, from the self-harm and others' harm that we keep committing even when we don't want to. In Christ, there is redemption, there is freedom and power to walk in a new way of life. And he says, abide in me, abide in me. This is John 15, abide in me, abide in my love for you, then you'll bear much fruit. You can't go out trying to bear fruit without first abiding in him. Then you'll experience contentment. The road to contentment starts at the cross and at the empty tomb. So immerse yourself there. There's a guy, an old Puritan, Thomas Watson. He said in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment. He says, the secret of finding contentment is getting heaven in your heart through faith in Jesus. Spiritual things, those are the things that satisfy And the more of heaven that is in us, the less the earth will ever content us. Here's the next way to fight against against coveting. Praise God when worry rises. Praise him when worry rises. Jesus himself, he diagnosed one mortal enemy of contentment of the soul, and it was worry. And as a veteran, I would even say an all-star of worrying myself, I can tell you this will quickly choke out the peace of the soul that Christ offers you. So Jesus said, Matthew 6, don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Worry, catch this, is a form of coveting. It is the mutated desire for control over something that you just can't seem to get. And the antidote, praise God anyway. I'm let go from my job. I'm gonna praise God anyway. I can't find a spouse. I'm gonna praise God anyway. I didn't get into my first school of choice. I'm gonna praise God anyway. The cancer that I've been diagnosed with is incurable. I'm going to praise God anyway. Listen to me, that is not blind faith. That is saying God and his goodness are better than whatever it is that would lead me into worry and fear. You catch that? Here's the last one. Remember the promised presence of your Lord. It's the way Packer words, I think it's beautiful. 
remember the promised presence of your Lord right here, right now, with you. I think this is a promise that we Christians, we either undervalue it or flat out forget it in our everyday life. That Jesus is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. That's the promise to us Christians, that he will remain with us, make his home in us for the rest of our lives. He'll guide us. He'll sustain us. Do you live as if that's true? He goes so far to say to his disciples, John 16, it is better. I'm telling you, it's better that I leave so that the spirit can be with you because it's better for the spirit to be with you. 16, six and seven, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor, that's God's Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit inside you is actually better than Jesus beside you? Because that's the promise, and the Spirit is actually with you. I mean, imagine <laughs> imagine if Jesus was with you, right there beside you, as you walk through all of your daily life. Like, here he is, right? AC breaks. Jesus is like, don't worry. I control the winds. Got a cool breeze coming in from Asheville right now for you, okay? Right? You run out of ice and drinks at your summer party. Jesus is like, I've been there. I got this. I'm going to take care of you, okay? But Jesus says, listen, I have even better news. And that's that the Spirit, his presence inside of you will be with you always, and it is better that I go so he can be there with you. That's what we have. So J.R. Packer says, to realize the promised presence of one's Lord, who both orders your circumstances and gives the strength to cope with them, that's the final secret of contentment. Church, God is with you. Such a simple truth. But do we walk in our day-to-day as if it's true? God is with you. He's guiding you. He's comforting you, restoring you conforming you away from sin and into the image of Christ, God is with you. That creates contentment in the soul, joy in the soul that nothing else can. Hebrews 13, be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Therefore, we can say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What could man do to me? So here's what I want to do. I want to close out our time today, kind of walking back through, not kind of, we want to walk back through the commandments in a posture of prayer. I want us to pray through the commandments together. And the way I want to do that is in a spirit of repentance. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to guide you through just praying through each commandment. We're going to post this actually on our um, blog, I think tomorrow, so that you could do this again on your own. But I want to kind of give you a practice run, us all together, to respond to God and what he has done for us, okay? So if you would, would you bow your head and and get into a a posture of prayer? These are going to be basically 10 prayers of repentance. And maybe over the course of this series, if you've been with us for the whole thing, maybe there's been one that's just really... Man, you've recognized this is the one where I've been fighting God, where I've been fighting his authority, his rule over my life. But we're gonna walk through them all together and I'm gonna give you words just to respond to God. Repentance means 
turning from one direction and going in a new one. Turning from sin and walking in surrender and in the joy of obedience to God. The first commandment says, do not have any other gods besides me. Here's the way you can pray that. God, I confess I have worshiped maybe the gifts instead of the giver. I've turned good things into God things. God, I repent of that heart and I choose to worship you alone. I repent where I've worshiped other things. I repent where I've put them up above you. I choose to worship you alone. The second commandment says, do not make an idol for yourself. You can pray, God, I confess I've been worshiping a, some kind of a false version of you. One that I made in my sinful desires, not the God of truth, not the God of scripture. I repent of my pride and making you into something you weren't. And I choose to worship Jesus, the image of the invisible God. I'm turning and choosing to worship Jesus, the image of the invisible God. The third commandment, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You can pray, God, I confess that I have been casual with your name. With my words, with my life, I have misrepresented it. I'm turning from that casual, irreverent even heart. And I choose to honor and glorify your name. May my life be about your name. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Maybe you need to pray, God, I confess I've rejected your gift of rest. I believe that my rest is found in Christ and that you call me to rest with my life. So I repent. I repent and I choose to receive the soul rest that you offer me in Christ. I receive your rest today. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. Maybe you need to pray, God, I confess I've dishonored my parents and other authorities that, that you've put in my life. I repent of my rebellious heart and I choose to honor you through honoring those that you've put in authority over me. The sixth commandment, do not murder. 
You need to pray, God, I confess I have torn down people that have been made in your image. With my actions, with my words, I've sought to tear them down. I repent of that angry heart. I give my life again to you, my soul, my heart again to you, and I choose to seek the good of those made in your image. I choose to seek the good of my brothers and sisters, and I do it for your glory, not mine. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. And you need to pray, God, I confess, I have chosen my desires over your design for sex. So I'm repenting. I'm turning from that. I trust you. See, brothers and sisters, in each one of these prayers, what you are praying is I trust you, God. So I repent of my lustful heart and I choose the greater pleasure of obeying you and following your design instead of my desires. The Eighth Commandment says, do not steal. God, I confess that I've taken from others in order to benefit myself. I've positioned myself at the expense of others to benefit me. So I repent of my greedy heart. I believe that what you have done for me is so generous. And it's enough for me. And so I choose to live generously as you have been generous with me. The ninth commandment, do not give false testimony. God, I confess that I have lied and in lying misrepresented the character in the name of Jesus, the one who is truth. I repent, I turn from all the things that I was trying to do, the way I was trying to preserve myself. I turn from all of that and I choose to speak the truth in love because I have received love from you, the God of truth. And the last one, our one for today, do not covet. God, I confess, I've been discontent with the life you've given me. I repent of that covetous heart. I repent from where I have not been satisfied with you. I choose to believe Christ is enough for me today. And as you're praying, now I want you to thank God again that he brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He has saved you. If you are in Christ, he has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has called you by name. He has written your name in the book of life. 
and has promised you his presence now and forevermore. If you're not a Christian, you can turn to him now. All of those prayers come out of one who says, God, I turn from my sin. I believe Christ died for me and I receive it today. I receive that forgiveness. I receive that what we call salvation. And I believe it today. You continue to pray and the band's gonna, gonna lead us from here.